the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes and jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go or what? This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't beat me. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid, I, they knew they could kick the shit out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Suplex by the Stinger. Another great move that he's added to his arsenal. Slamming Hogan's head into the top turnbuckle. Stinging, obviously, he's 100% now. His neck is back exactly as it was. Probably Bob even stronger because he worked very, very hard to rehabilitate himself after, again, the triple team by the Warriors. Well, and of course, he can attribute that to the great condition and shape he's in, that tremendous neck of his. All the way across the ring. This could be it. The Scorpion Deathlock. He turns him over. It could be Snap Crackling Pop Time. If it gets Hawk or Animal in this position, the Stinger will be ready at Starcade, no doubt about it. With the Scorpion fans, there's the hand raised of a winner. All right, let's get it going right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by our good old friends over at Acre Gold, our brand new sponsor. Stay tuned a little bit later on in the show and find out how Acre Gold is going to change your life by giving you the new value and the easy way to buy affordable gold. Again, stay tuned in just a couple of minutes as we tell you more about the Acre Gold experience and how the two-man power trip of wrestling are going to help you stretch that buck a little bit more with your gold investment. Head on over to getacregold.com for more, but in just a couple of minutes, we'll give you information on that promotion. 
But first, I want to welcome you here to the show. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week I'm joined here by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And today, John has an opportunity to sit down with a longtime legend here of professional wrestling, a guy that you've definitely seen him wrestle before, especially if you're a fan of old school WCW. You remember him in a big way as Randy Hogan joins us today to give us a little bit of the lowdown on what's been going on in the world of Randy Hogan in the last couple of years, but also to talk about his wrestling career and what he has done throughout his travels into all the different stops he has had along the way. Now, you heard off the top, the clip I played is a match that Randy Hogan had against the Stinger on WCW television. And as you can see, as you do your research into Randy Hogan, you get to to see the matches that he got to take place in and take part in and you see the opponents he had and the guys he got to work with and we all know that the key of some of the enhancement workers that you have are that they make the guys that they're in the ring with look good and when you got a guy like Randy Hogan and you have that standout look you've got the mustache and you've got the Hulk Hogan-esque do there on the top you know that there's a reason why things are done the way they are, and we're going to find out from Randy Hogan here uh, on this episode why exactly things were the way that they were back in his day as a worker. And you finally have a great opportunity to meet Randy Hogan in person March 7th at the big event in Queens, New York at the LaGuardia Plaza Hotel and March 8th at WrestleFest 2. He will be appearing there at the Heroes Hideouts WrestleFest 2, uh, an event that is slowly becoming one of the uh, the major convention stops in the New York State and beyond area, but a great addition to your autograph collection, a rare guy to say the least, but you're starting to see the interest of the promoters in bringing in a guy like a Randy Hogan, a real great uh, relic of the past, but somebody who can definitely uh, get you talking and get you thinking about some of those fun times watching him on a Saturday morning. And again, like I mentioned, the guys that he wrestled and seeing those matches and taking yourself right back into that spot as a little kid and watching him and loving those enhancement matches and how they furthered storylines and how they made those stars look incredibly uh, amazing. But these two events, the big event and also the WrestleFest 2, just uh, staple conventions now of the Northeast and the opportunity to get to meet Randy is uh, is really cool. And it looks like he's starting to really pick up the pace in terms of his schedule as he gets out to meet the fans uh, here, especially, hey, you know, from a Northeastern guy, I can tell you uh, the best fans on the planet in the Northeast, guys that will never forget you as long as you live. Uh, but I don't want to beat around the bush too much. I don't want to give away a lot from this interview. John and Randy have a lot to talk about. So I do want to wrap it up here pretty quickly. I want to remind you, head to tmptempire.com and uh, get yourself over there to check out the podcast going on. Always something happening. Uh, and if you're in the New York area, please stop by the big event to meet Randy as well as head out to WrestleFest 2 and meet all the stars that'll be touring that weekend with all the great promoters. Uh, and definitely uh, you will not be disappointed to say the least. So with all that being said, let's wrap it up nice. Hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and let's get it on over to the immortal Randy Hogan. 
now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Rasslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Michael, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, without any further ado, a man who wrestled in WCW and the World Wrestling Federation. He is the one and only man with the golden mustache, Randy Hogan. Please enjoy. Pleasure to be here. Now, with you, it's so interesting. I mean, what a long career. Obviously, uh, you've been everywhere, like I mentioned, NWA, WWF. But what have you been up to lately? What has been going on in the world of Randy Hogan? Well, retirement, spending time on the beach, spending time on the golf course, going to see some little indie shows here and there. I've got a friend that's got a uh, school down here. I go there once in a while and talk to the kids and I uh, got some conventions coming up in March in New York, the big event and in Albany at a wrestle fest too. And lots of little things like that going on, basically enjoying retirement. Very cool. So you do stay in and kind of around the business active with the business. You still like the business. You've got to stay with it. It's in your blood. You can't get away from it. If you'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> 
And every morning I wake up, the aches and pains remind me of where I used to be. Oh, yeah. But, uh, that, uh, it's nice to see these, yeah, these young kids coming up and everything else, you know, and, and the way the, uh, ah, the business and the training even has changed, you know. I mean, it's no secret. Kids coming up nowadays, uh, they're much more hmm, athletic or gymnastic than we were back in the old days, you know. In the old days, you smacked with a chair, with a two-by-four, whatever else. Now you got guys doing flips and going through tables, and it just changed so much, you know, some for the better. And if you ask us old school guys, some not for the better. Now, so, do you watch a lot of, of current wrestling? Are you, like, keeping up with it, or is it just one yes. something that you see every once in a while? Man, I started as a fan when I was four or five years old. And now that I'm um, years old, I'm still a fan. Mm-hmm. So uh, I try to get into a lot of the new and up-and-coming associations and that. But uh, uh, it's it's, it's kind of difficult because the styles have changed and there's a lot of names that you're not familiar with. And, and uh, you know, people say, what do you think of, you know, NXT and AW and all these other things coming up? And... Um, I mean, they're great. They're great platforms. But can they ever compete? I'm not quite sure. Because looking at it strictly as a fan, I like to tune in and I like to see people that I know. And when I go into AEW, there's maybe four or five names that I know and the rest I don't. Same with NXT. Um, The advantage, I think, is with NXT is those guys usually end up moving up to SmackDown or Raw, so you can follow their careers in that. You know, the other guys, they 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 start maybe in a Ring of Honor, and then they're over in Japan for a few years, and they're here, and they're there, and then they change gimmicks, you know, different times and that. So from a fan, fan's point of view, um, I like to watch people that I know. So that's why I, and I'm, I'm still kind of a, kind of a fan of the uh, the older association. So you mentioned, you know, you're keeping up with this, but the style is different. Do you like sure. that style really? I mean, or you really like that old school style? As far as wrestling goes, I like the old school style. Of course, it was a little different too because you had territories and you could follow things around. You didn't uh, see a world champion, uh, you know, back in the day and when, when Flair and Funks and that. You didn't see them in your town or on TV every week. Now it's so commonplace. Um, I like to watch the gymnastics and stuff. I miss the storytelling, though. I miss wanting to tune in to see what's going to happen next week or next month or whatever or clips of what happened at the last house show they may have had somewhere. Um, just the stories continue, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of that going on anymore. And so that's what I miss. As far as watching what these guys do with their bodies, I'm just amazed. I mean, I like to watch it from the athletic point of view, but as from a pro wrestling fan's point of view, um, if you're old enough to have grown up watching the old style as opposed to the new style. Um, 
there's just quite a difference. So I like some of both. If I could have one or the other, it would definitely be the old school. It's easier for the fan to get invested in the characters. That's just my opinion. Great, great point. seems like they're much more concerned and consumed with the wrestling, but not creating the entertainment value of the characters and connection with the characters. Well, that's absolutely true. And the characters are flip-flopping and changing so often. You know, um, there was a couple that got away with that, even old school. Ric Flair, you know, sometimes he was a heel, sometimes he was a baby. You never really knew. Dusty Rhodes, he used to go back and forth. A lot of those old guys went back and forth. Um, and you cheered them no matter which way they were. Now, um, well, they're doing it with Drew McIntyre. Now they're just starting to turn him to build him up for a match, you know, with Lesnar. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, you go back 60 days ago and everybody hated McIntyre. He was a heel, you know, he was uh, and built up for that. But then all of a sudden, there's a quick change now. So um, those changes didn't happen that quickly in the old days. Usually it was one guy turned on the other one and they have a feud and that defined which one was the baby and which one was the heel. Um but but now it's just uh, it's just very homogenized. It's just different. It's just harder to get invested in a lot of the changes. But as far as the athleticism and even the bodies, you know, I mean, these guys are all bodybuilders. Even the you know, there's a few like the Kevin Owens of the world that aren't. But for the most part, um, the guys are all in shape. They're all muscled up and everything. You know, you go back to, to some of the real old days when he had like the Crusher and Dick the Bruiser and and uh, even San Martino, I mean, he was big, he was strong in that, but he wasn't cut and defined like some of these bodybuilder guys you see today. You know, that all started, you had a couple of them, old school Sailor Art Thomas, of course, and then, uh, you know, like Tony Atlas was that way, and uh, Rocky Johnson, you know, was, was muscled up in that. There was quite a few of them that way. But uh, for the most part, they were just big barroom brawlers. And that's what people got invested in. That's what that's what brought the blue collar, you know, where you could go to a match and it cost you what two dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, fifteen dollars for a ringside ticket. Now you're paying fifteen hundred dollars for a good ringside ticket. Hmm. So crazy. It is. It is. It's just uh, it's family entertainment, but that's I think because a lot of it is on TV. But as far as the the house shows, I think for the younger kids, I mean, you know, what parent can afford to take two or three kids at fifty, seventy five dollars, hundred dollars a pop to see a match, uh T V taping, and for those kids to stay interested enough that they will take their kids one day and their kids one day. And that's a generation. You know, I started with my grandparents, I was like five years old, so that was a million years ago, you know, but I they set the hook right there as far as being a fan and knowing what I liked and what I didn't. And I grew up the same way. And then I was, when I was lucky enough to, uh, to get into business, um, it was quite an experience. It was, uh, the first time I stepped in the ring to train, I actually got tears in my eyes just from a fan. It's just something that I had seen and I had wanted so much. And it was so important and meant so much to me. Um, Nowadays, um, I don't think they come up with that kind of a 
that kind of a passion. Like yeah, the, uh, like yeah, definitely to. not. So you had such a love for the business. I mean, that's great. So where did I you? Did. you know, where did you start training? I started training with Jerry and Ted Oates in Columbus, Georgia. Now, they were uh, very big in the area in the territories. Uh, Jerry Oates and Ronnie Garvin, I think, beat the Road Warriors for a TV title, Georgia Championship Wrestling, and and uh, Ted the same way. Very local, very southern in that. Uh, they uh, trained Marty Gennetti. He was in there, so... And they did a lot of work in Japan. Anyways, it was strictly old school. You know, long story short, as a fan, everything else, I loved it my whole life. Um, I was living down here, and I was living in actually Columbus, Georgia, for a while. I used to play in a band. And uh, we used to play at a Holiday Inn, and they had wrestling in Columbus every Wednesday, and the wrestlers would stay there. So I got to know some of them really good, Eddie Mansfield. Uh, Wahoo McDaniel, they were regulars around there. Of course, Jerry Oates. So I uh, I moved around and and uh, was in the rest, got in the restaurant business. And they closed the restaurant I was managing. So I called Jerry Oates, who had a gym up in Columbus. I said, Jerry, do you know anybody who trains? Now I would do nothing about wrestling. I did. I just wanted to know: is it real or is it fake? Like people say, mm-hmm. what is it? I didn't know. Right. So uh, Jerry said, "Well, the only person down there that uh, that trains is Hiro Matsuda, who trained, you know, Hogan and worked strong down here in Championship Wrestling from Florida. And uh, but it was very hard to to get into that time. And he said, but you know, I train guys up here too.' I said, well, yeah, but I'm.'" kind of down here. Anyways, we talked back and forth. So I said, okay. So I packed everything I had up in my car. <sighs> Luckily, I was single at the time and drove from Boca Raton up to uh, Columbus, Georgia, got a job managing a Po Folks restaurant. And that's what paid my way to wrestling school. So I started with, uh, with Jerry and uh, there wasn't a ring. We learned on the mats. Um, if you can take a bump on a mat, on a cement floor uh, in a ring, it's going to be easy. So we learned the hard way that way. And I got hurt a little bit, and I was out for a few months. And then I came back. In the meantime, Ted had opened up Ted Oates, a, a school that uh, I mean, they had a ring. It was like storefront in there. And uh, I don't know, it was eight or nine of us at the time. And uh, started really training this time in a ring. So that's how I got started. So about what year was was it that you got started? <clears throat> Let me see. That would have been 80, uh, uh, let me see, 82-ish, I guess, something like that. 82, 83. So kind of right before the big Hulk Hogan boom, if you will, the, the big WWF That's boom. That's true. A, a long story short, you know, I, I always, I've always had the mustache. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a little bit longer hair than that, but uh, after after I got hurt and I had then I had one match. It was a all just a students' match we put on for the police athletic league, and uh, it was fun. But I got out of wrestling what I wanted. I just wanted to know what it was all about. 
So I continued as a fan, and I go down to the auditorium on uh, Wednesday nights in Columbus, Georgia, and uh, when they had the wrestling, and I'd watch it, and of course the guys would come in when I was working there, and I'd talk to them, and got to be pretty good friends with Eddie Mansfield, and through him a couple other ones, and uh, and I went early one day, I used to like to watch the guys coming in, and uh, one of the guys I trained with was setting the ring up. I said, Bill, what are you doing? He says, well, they rent the ring from me when when they come in here to uh, to do the tapings. He said, uh, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm not doing nothing. You know, just watching. And he said, well, I'm working these little shows up in, I think it was, I don't know, Athens, Georgia, or somewhere up in North Georgia, working in a bar. He says, why don't you come bring your stuff? Come with me sometime and watch me. I said, I don't know if I want to bring my stuff but I'll come watch you. So I went up once a couple of times and I have my stuff. And, and of course, you know, common courtesy when the wrestler's there, you always, if they're a friend of yours, you introduce them to the promoter and bring them in the locker room and that. So, um, once the, the promoter said, uh, went to, to Bill and said, ask Randy, do you have a stuff? And Bill said, well, yeah, I think he did bring it. He said, well, see, does it want to work? And I said, I'm scared. He says, Oh, it'll be okay. I said, well, okay, I'll work. So uh, I was so green. Uh, first match, the guy says, okay, you're going to wrestle this guy called Animal, and he's going to go over. And I'm thinking, well, Bill, what, what's that mean, he's going to go over? Does that mean like over the top <laughs> rope or something? That's how green I was, you know. And uh, so anyways, had the match. And we went, uh, I don't know, 20-minute Broadway or something. And... Uh, the promoter, again, now this is a bar. Uh, it's with one of those uh, hot dog and a Coke payoff type of places. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just thrilled to do it. And uh, so he said, uh, can you come back again next week? And I said, wow, this is funny. I can come back. And he said, well, you know what? We're gonna, you kind of look like that, 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 uh, that Hulk Hogan guy. So we're going to call you Hal Hogan. And I said, oh, wait a minute. I I don't know who this Hal guy is. I won't know who people are talking to. Can we do Randy Hogan? So that's kind of how the, the Randy Hogan name came about. So I went home to my girlfriend. I said, you got to bleach my hair. So I bleached my hair blonde, bleached my mustache, my eyebrows, everything else, and uh, went back and had a match. And this one for the first time, like my third match, I went over. So I started going back every week, and uh, again, long story short, you know, you meet guys at the match, and you go to watch them on nights off when they're somewhere else, and they introduce you a promoter, and then promoter say, hey, you want to work for us? And so that's how that all went on. Then one day, it probably uh, six, seven months later, I did a show, and uh, Action Mike Jackson was his name who's mm-hmm. the self-proclaimed uh, uh, Alabama junior heavyweight champion for the last 40 years, I think. Anyways. Yeah. Anyway, so I was going like semi-main event. Of course, he was main event at this time. And uh, I said, Mike, I says, how do you get on TV? How do you get on TV? Because at that time, you had your, whatever you want to call us, enhancement, journeyman, carpenters, jobbers, you know. And uh, he said, well, he says, you know, I... I take, I book guys up. He says, why don't you come along with us? Two or three guys. 
and uh, you know, bring your stuff. I can't guarantee you'll get on, but uh, bring your stuff. So, um, so I did, and the same stories in that little bar. J.J. Dillon, who was uh, the booker at the time up there, said, uh, you got your stuff? I says, yeah. He says, okay, you want to work? Now, here, I'm really stoked. I mean, TV cameras, all this kind of stuff. Never thought of being on TV. So I get my first at the tag match with the Barbarian and the Warlord. And uh, a little bit into the match, um, I'm with the Barbarian, and he, he shoots me in and says, boo-boo. And I'm thinking, what did he say? Well, I didn't know, and I was young, and I hit the ropes and came off full force to that size 15 boot right in my face. Broke my nose. Blood splattered all over the place. What he he did for me, he was saying big boot, like watch for the big boot. Yeah. Baboo, you know, and he's, you know, the Samoan descent, a very, I mean, he's very apologetic, but... uh, Boo-boo. And I said, well, I don't know what you want, but I'm not going to do it. So anyways, I came back, and, of course, they were concerned about me a little bit with my nose, and we just cracked that back in shape. And and uh, then the next week, say, you know, can you come back again? I said, well, sure. So that's how I started doing Strictly TV. That was when Jim Crockett had NWA. Now, all of yeah. a sudden, Ted Turner's coming into it. He's buying it. Well, at that point, there was some of us that um, there were pretty regular NWA, but when Crockett took it over, I think Jim Hurd was there at the time, and, and I think Bischoff was just coming in. Um, you actually had to you had to know how to work. They weren't just doing the job, but they wanted guys that could at least fight back, given the opportunity, knew how to work. So it's almost like an audition type thing. So a lot of the guys uh, disappeared, and some of us were lucky enough to uh, to stay on me and like uh, oh, George South and his Italian stallion and Gary Royal and there's five or six of us that uh, they worked all the time. And they said, "Hey, can you work house show?" And I said, "Well, sure, I can work a house show. I'm tickled to death." Then they say, "Can you travel?" So I said, "Yeah." So now I went from working in a bar, just meeting the right guy doing TV and from TV to the house shows and then got the shrapnel with them for a while. And that's how it all started. Pretty uh, amazing. I mean, you, it's kind of like a, a little journey there. It, it, it was, it was really a cool. big, a big journey. Yeah. Very so cool. I moved around. I worked for pretty much, pretty much all the associations. I went out to, uh, world-class out in Texas, a couple shots out there, and I did uh, quite a bit in Continental, which was uh, uh, Ron Fuller and his group out of uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, But most of it was uh, was in WA and WCW. So that was fun. I did that until I was in a match with, uh, with Rick Steiner in Savannah, Georgia. And both the Steiners, especially Rick, was famous for his suplexes, belly to backs. Okay, well I wrestled him three or four times, always landed on my head. So he goes behind me, and I'm going to turn. So I turned and twisted a little too much, and when it came down on my shoulder, anyways, I cracked my clavicle. So that put me out of it. Pretty much at this time, I was getting older. Um, 
came back to Florida to heal up because I had my arm one of those stupid things that uh, you know your arms in the air all the time and uh, healed up from that and said, well, now what am I going to do? You know, I don't want to. I'm getting too old and I don't want to do this wrestling thing because I wasn't a big name and so I bought a restaurant and then I bought another restaurant and then I got divorced and I lost the second restaurant. Hmm. And uh, anyways, I ended up through the years with seven different ones. Well, when I when I opened the restaurant, of course, the newspaper local picked up and said, you know, professional wrestler Randy Hogan. So I had to keep that alive. So I kept my hair blonde. Um, and kids would come in and I'd give them a little, tell them what's going on and what's this guy like and what's this guy like and and autograph little uh, pictures. I had pictures for them and everything. So I was like a Ronald McDonald, you know. Mom and dad would say, kids, where do you want to go eat? Oh, let's go see Randy Hogan because they get a picture and they get some conversation. So Very I, cool. I stayed in the restaurant business the whole time. But to keep Randy Hogan alive, now WCW started doing their TV tapings down here in, uh, well, at the time it was MGM Studios at Disney. And... Uh, which is just an hour from where I live. So I made a couple of calls. So when they did TV, I started doing TV tapings again, just to stay on TV. And, uh, and that was it. Yeah, I just did it and did it until I didn't do it no more. Who but, did you, you know, call for that? Who, like, who's the guy that, that kind of gets you in touch with WCW? Kevin Sullivan. Oh, nice. Now, down here with WWF at the time, whatever, WWE was uh, Steve Kern, you know, out of Tampa, him and, uh, and uh, Mike Graham, but Steve Kern and that, they used to do stuff there. And there's, there's just a hotbed of wrestlers down here in the, in the Tampa area. But uh, Kevin Sullivan was a, was a big help to me through the years in a lot of ways, and as was Blackjack Mulligan also lived down here and got to know real well. Um, it just, uh, I'm sure it's the same way now, but it, a lot of everything is who you know. And you tend to do business with people you like. So the guys that have the attitudes and everything else, you know, I would always try to stay humble, try to stay friendly. Um, um, always work the gimmick. That's old school style, you know. And uh, it, it, it worked well for me. It just pretty much let me work when I wanted. And I still get calls uh, to work. In fact, I was supposed to be out in uh, San Diego next week. I guess the things got canceled. But my first time back, I was going to go out there with the UWF. And uh, or a week after next, on the first. And I was going to come back on Monday and then uh, Thursday fly to uh to new york for the big event on saturday and saturday night we're going to a little uh, independent show and sunday will be in albany and then fly home and then i guess i'll be out in charlotte in august and a couple things in between but that's how it spiraled you know it just started you don't have opportunities like that nowadays now the, everybody in the brothers is training wrestlers and and they don't necessarily train them the right way and that's why guys get hurt and and there's not the opportunities to to make 
good money unless you're in one of the big associations. And, you know, there's four or five of those in the world going on right now, and the rest of the guys are still making little money like uh, we did way back in the day. So, so it's a shame. Back then there was more opportunities if you got trained because there wasn't a whole lot of guys getting trained, and there wasn't a school in every corner. I mean, to get into professional wrestling, what I did, it was almost like magicians. You didn't know what was real. You didn't know what to fake. Uh, kayfabe was alive and well, you know. So you really had to know somebody. Like through Jerry Oates, I knew Eddie Mansfield, and that's how I finally ended up getting into it. But just coming off the street, you couldn't get into wrestling. Now you ask your next-door neighbor, you go out in the backyard, you take some uh, flips off the top of the house, and you work for a Coke and a hot dog, and you think you're a professional wrestler. It's just the difference in the business today is opposed to what it used to be. No doubt about that. And, you know, Am I you're talking, talking about... too much? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. Just, just trying to bring you up the history. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking about WCW. A famous clip you always see online is you versus Vader. And it's so oh. interesting because technically speaking, it's really part of worldwide, but they actually put it on Power Hour too when they syndicated it. So it's funny. It's actually two different shows. So you get, yeah. uh, you know, you get Ventura and Tony and then another show you get Tony and Terry Taylor. So it's funny the way it works out, the same exact match on two different shows, two different announcers. But what, what was your kind of feelings working with Vader? He seemed a bit stiff, a bit snug. Well, I'm going to be kind. Okay. Hmm. I had two people that I had worked my whole career that stand out as being the roughest, meanest, most uncaring toward the jobbers, if you wanted to call it that. Um, and that was Vader and Abdullah the Butcher. When I, um, I wrestled Vader maybe three times or so. And he, well, they were building him up to be mean. And he was. He was generally did not care. I mean, one kid, unfortunately, you know, got his back broken and is sitting in a wheelchair to this day um, from one of his Vader bombs. Uh, one of the, the ones that's on YouTube of me, when he does that little monkey thing, you know, he jumps up and down on the uh, second rope and then splashes you, you know? Yes, yep. He splashes you. You feel every pound of it. So when he goes up and does two or three of them at a time, um, it hurts. I mean, I was okay, but it's funny that you watch at that point, um, the referee, Nick Patrick, about three of them came out to the ring after that match because they thought I was literally dead. They thought I was really, really, really killed. I said, I'm okay. You know, but hmm. they thought I was really but because Vader had a reputation and he was that stiff. No apologies, no nothing from him, you know, back in the locker room. And uh Abdullah was another one. Um, I guess with the when he was wrestling one of the over guys, uh, he, he was okay, you know. But us little guys, you know, he it was his job to to look 
deadly and ruthless, and and he was. I remember working him in uh, the, the Continental, and Gary Hart was his manager at the time. And uh, we were doing TV tapings. Uh, I was on the first and the third hour doing the taping. The first hour was with him. The third hour I had Butch Reed. So, um, and again, unlike today, your match is not choreographed. They're nothing, you know. Again, Kefaba is, is is pretty much dead now, and everybody knows what is and what isn't and everything else. But, you know, you knew how long the match was going to last, and you knew the finish, and that was about it. So, anyways, I'm in the ring, and, of course, I go out first and all the heckles and that. And then Abdullah comes out, so I'm taking my jacket off. I turn around. Next thing I know, he's got – he was, I don't know, a television champion or something. He had this belt, and he smacked me in the back of the head with that belt, full force. Not me goofy. And the whole match, he's like he'd stand on your throat. And, you know, he's not taking any leverage off of the ropes. He's literally standing on you and stuff. And then he got a kendo stick, and he whipped me like a dog with his stick. So uh, the best old school statement, though, got back in the locker room. And again, one thing you never do, you never complain. You don't do nothing. You just take it because that's what you get paid for. So I go back in the locker room, and uh, and he was with his feet up on the desk smoking a cigar. And he says, you okay? And I said, yes, sir. You know, thank you for the match. I said, would you Bob beat me to death with that uh, kendo stick? He flips his cigar and says, son, he said, it's good for the business. That was it. It was good for the business, which means suck it up, kayfabe. It's got to look, it's got, it's a story. It's got to look real. Now on TV with the different angles, you see punches, you know, guys taking bumps when, uh, uh, you know, the, the hands are six inches away from them and stuff. But back then, good for the business. And if you're that close to the people, you better lay the punches in, you better lay the kicks in, you better lay everything in. And that's one of the things that uh, that kept the fans, I think, involved, because they could see it. Some of the stuff they could see, wow, he really hit him. You don't see that a whole lot anymore. So, but Abdullah and Vader were the most, uh, were the stiffest two guys I ever worked. Ever. Any resentment towards those guys? No, not at all. They made a man of me. Let me tell you, you can imagine when you're going down, walking down the mall or something, some kid, somebody recognizes you. First thing they want to do is they want to heckle you. Oh, yeah, you got your butt beat. You know, I said, this guy keeps you losing everything else. Well, you know, Vader, Abdullah, the Road Warriors, there's there's no shame in getting your butt beat by guys like that. And that's just what you tell them, you know. But uh, resentment, no. If anything, it, it just made me appreciate the business and what it's really all about better than anything. Did you get hurt in that Vader match? Because it, it's weird. He doesn't go for the pin. He just goes like for the 10 count. And you're right. The ref thinks you're injured. Uh, it yeah. seems like were you hurt? No. Good selling. I mean, I was I was roughed up 
but no, I, I, I wasn't. Um, I was hurt more with Abdullah, especially with this kendo stick. I mean, he whipped me, you know, the long stick, bamboo sticks, I guess they are. Whipped me like a dog. So I'm, I'm taping you the third hour against Butch Reed. He got me up in a bear hug and the cameras, you can see the welt marks on my back from the first hour when he beat me. Oh, wow. But no, nah, no, no resentment. Um, it's all, it's all learning. Um, it didn't endear me to him or anything. Right. I, I, I learned a lesson, you know, and again, the first thing I learned in training was no matter what happens, you thank the guy, you're thank the promoters, you don't whine, you don't cry, you don't do nothing. Now, you know, guys twist their ankle and they're out for weeks or they're complaining about this. So this guy doesn't want to work for that guy. But uh, that's that's why some of us that weren't as talented as maybe others got to work steady. You know, you tend to do business with people that you like. And if you're nice to these people, they're going to book you. And and then when you're with the same one at WCW, you get to be favored, I guess, as far as being, as Bischoff started, enhancement talent. So when they're putting the matches together, um, you know, the, the over guys would say, you know, who they wanted to work in that. And I worked a lot with Luger and with Sting and with Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotundo, and especially the Jimmy Cornette and the Midnight Express, all them guys, because I could take whatever they threw at me, any way they wanted to flip flop or do whatever they knew I'd do it. And I didn't weigh that much. I was about, Oh, I don't know, maybe two twenty five or so at the time. And, uh, but I could, I could, I learned how to fall and they tended to take care of you after they got to know you. So they'd want to work with you. And, and that was really feathering your cap. And then you see some of these young guys come up for the first time, a little bit cocky, and uh, they teach him a lesson. They had a couple guys in WWF that used to do it. Bob Holly was one of them, one of the enforcers, you know, when they were having a problem or there was somebody new and needed uh, uh, an attitude adjustment. Bob Holly would stretch him like a rubber band. All in all, uh, it is. I mean, you get paid to do something. You get paid to take chances of getting hurt, which you did get hurt often. I don't know of anybody that hasn't dislocated or broken one or two things or or gotten stitches and staples and everything else. Um, just the nature of the business. Now let's pause one minute to tell you all about Acre Gold. Introducing Acre, the new subscription platform for gold. Acre lets you make small monthly payments and then sends gold straight to your doorstep every few months. Well, what are the benefits of using Acre Gold? Well, it's affordable to start. You don't have to pay out of your pocket all at once. It's convenient. You just set up the subscription and forget it. The actual physical gold bars are mailed right to your doorstep, and Acre branded gold is of the highest quality, designed in California and minted in Switzerland. It's safe and simple with a gorgeous packaging. And of course, when dealing with Acre Gold, you get excellent customer service. So you're asking yourself, how does Acre work? Don't break the bank. Start buying gold for just $50 per month. And there's now even a $30 per month option. But watch your gold grow. 
Acre will keep you updated on your gold stash as you make progress. The gold is shipped to your door. Once your Acre Gold Stash reaches the price of a 2.5 gram Acre Gold Bar, they will discreetly ship you your gold. And the best part is you're in control. You can easily cancel or modify your plan to suit your needs at any time. So head on over to getacregold.com slash two man today and start using Acre Gold right now. Getacregold.com slash two man and start using Acre Gold right now. And now you can win a free gold bar by tweeting at get underscore Acre and at two man power trip and at Chad E&B telling us why you should be our winner. Acre Gold is the smartest decision you'll ever make, and we welcome them here to the two-man power trip of wrestling empire family. As far as WWF and getting into the WWF, working for Vince, how did you make your way to WWF? Obviously, NWA, WCW, but how did you make your way over to WWF? Because you weren't Randy Hogan. You'd be Scott Colton. It's the same thing. I just had a few matches there. Um, the same thing. It's it's who you know, you know. If you know somebody, and and there was a, actually a kid that I had trained, Chris Nelson, who was one of the new Heavenly Bodies. The original Heavenly Body, I think, it was Tom Pritchard and Stan Lane. Anyways, they took it over with a, a gigolo Jimmy Del Rey and that. Anyways, Chris Nelson and uh, and Vito. So Chris was up there. And uh, working some things, so the same thing. You go to watch him. You know, you want to work? Can you work? Yeah, I can work. Okay, can do this, do that. But of course, the the Hogan thing, they didn't want him to do it. See, that's another thing that got me over big in WCW because now, you know, Hogan was the thing, and they were getting started with the uh, Monday Night Wars and everything. So it did WCW good to have a Hogan getting his butt whipped. I I don't know if that was their thinking and everything else, but you know it, it it weakened the Hogan name. Every once in a while, they'd make a reference. Um, Jimmy Cornette, I know, was doing TV commentary somewhere, and uh, and there was a close up, and some guy was ripping my face or something. I forget who. And Cornette says, "I bet he wishes his big brother was here now." <laughs> the fact that, yeah, and this is Cornette on, on national TV saying this. So that just kind of kept those things, those rumors going. So so the Hogan look that would not work with WWE worked uh, with WCW. And WCW, which was more toward my home base because I, I lived in Georgia at the time, in Georgia, Alabama, Florida, all that was my area. It was good for my little career. So, so I, I I finally worked for all these other little associations. But my favorite, favorite, favorite was WCW and Crockett's NWA. They always treated me well, treated me like a king, and I was nothing. So, so was it a rib a little bit on on Hogan? Like as far as I know, Cornette kind of playing it up. But was it a rib at all on Hulk? I don't know. I I can only assume that absolutely it was because I didn't have to change my name. I had a similar look 
you mm-hmm. know, allowed Absolutely. to go to. But but as I got going more and more, and the tan got darker and the hair got a little bit longer in that, and then I started uh, um, changing my outfits, uh, my gimmick more and more toward old. It, it's kind of like they had Gilberg, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. And a couple other ones. So I was the Gilberg of the WCW. Did Hulk ever mention anything to you? Was he pissed? Did he, did he like it? Did he not like it? Never. Any reaction Absolutely Hulk? never. Um, when he came to WCW, they went to, to Disney and had a big uh, news conference or something. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was working a day gig as a, uh, uh, as a reporter. I just had a little two-minute, I think it was a three-minute wrestling expose um, on this channel. So I went as a reporter, and I was there. And I was standing right in the front, and Hogan was there with Jimmy Hart. and They had like a ticker tape parade in there. And he kind of looked down at me and just kind of like a wink and a nod, and that was all. So I, by that, I took it that he knew and recognized who I was, but has never acknowledged or I've never gotten any heat from anybody from him. And, you know, he only lives an hour from me here. Mm-hmm. And I go, I go down here. He's got two gift shops, one in Clearwater and one here in Orlando that I go to. And, uh, so no, nothing's ever been said. There's never been any heat whatsoever from that. And I'm so thankful. Now we got WrestleCon coming up down here. Um, WrestleMania week in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Of course, he'll be there, I'm sure, at, at all access. And uh, I haven't booked at that convention yet, but, you know, that would be the first time that we would probably be in the same room in gimmick together. And that's kind of scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, sorry, we'll see what happens. But, nope, I never got any repercussions whatsoever from him or any of his buddies or anything else. They also kind of allude to like, oh, because I know your name is Randy, obviously, but they always think it has something to do with Randy Savage. Never had anything to do with Randy Savage, right? No, nothing whatsoever. My real name is Randy. Yeah, yep. And uh, when I started as Randy Franklin, because my dad's name was Frank, and I did that until that little bar guy says, you look like Hulk Hogan, so we're going to call you Hal Hogan. Well, that's where Randy Hogan was born. And just kept it. And, you know, when I had to uh, uh, to work, I had to uh, change names or change gimmicks. But it was just for a short, short period of time. And uh went back to the Hogan. And always been there. And like I said, I lived down here by him. I've been to his shops, to his restaurants that he has. Uh, he's opened up another place, I guess, Hogan's Hideout, it's called down here. Oh, nice. But uh yeah, but there's uh no repercussions whatsoever. So I'm thankful when, for it. When you went to WBF around you know, nineteen ninety or so, they made you Scott Colton. What was the thought process? They didn't want you to be any sort of relation to Hulk, they and they just randomly came up with that name? Absolutely. No yeah, they wanted nothing to do with Hogan. That was the bottom line. He was the golden child at the time, he was it. No relation whatsoever. Well they did the same thing with uh uh, Brutus Beefcake, you know, at one time. He was Dizzy Hogan, and, mm-hmm. you know, yep. they were brothers and everything else starting out and everything else, and all of a sudden, British, um, he come up with uh, the Beefcake thing. But, 
yeah, they don't, uh, they don't do that. There was a, a guy down here the same way, um, Buddy Valentine, who's just a, a local independent guy, a great worker, looked just like the Valentines. And, uh, in fact, he asked Greg Valentine if he could use the name. And uh, Greg told him, uh, no, he said, my dad wouldn't approve, I guess, alluding to Johnny Valentine. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was it. So so I, I just I just never came across that. And they said, you know, no relation to Hogan? Well, that's fine, you know. And I, I didn't do that many. Um, I didn't do that much work for them. And then back to WCW, you know, the hair was there, the mustache was back, and here we are. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, you know, you have the Andersons, and then there's a bunch of other Andersons that aren't really mm-hmm. Anderson. The only real Anderson is really Gene Anderson. Even Ole's yeah. not a real – you know what I mean? There's one of those mm-hmm. things where it just kind of sticks, and, and you look like the person or uh, maybe have some same mannerisms, and it just sticks, even though technically speaking, you know, Arn isn't an Anderson. So it's like yeah. – it's crazy. Yeah, was, yep, yep, exactly. And only Anderson is uh, what – Wazowski or something. I don't know. But yeah, um, Alan uh, Raginski or whatever, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And Lars Anderson. I don't know where he came from or whatever. But uh, yeah, you're right. There's there's a bunch of them, and then it it just stuck. Yeah, I think it's Larry Haneski or something. Lars Anderson. Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, there was no problem with with uh, joining groups or families back then as much as it would be now. Um, yeah, everybody's changing their name now. I mean, they go from, uh, uh, you know, from the ones that are recently leaving WWE and they go to AEW or something else, you know, they can't, I mean, Vince has got all the names pretty much trademarked, I guess, and they have to change their names and, and start all over. So it didn't used to be that way. Used to be able to use your name. Unless, like in in my case, and I'm sure there were some others too, that you know you you started portraying in a way somebody who was now on top, and they don't want you to be associated. Because if I was associated with Hulk Hogan, um, then they he'd be coming to my uh, my rescue and he'd be helping me and you know, I'd be over and I'd probably be sitting on the beach with him right now somewhere. <laughs> yep. Didn't work that way. But uh, I still see and talk to a lot of the guys, especially with these conventions coming up. Uh, a lot of them live down here. Barry Horwitz, you know, we had have some good talks quite a bit. Oh, good buddy of mine. Nice. Yeah, I love Barry. Yeah, he lives over here in St. Pete. So, um it, it's funny because there seems this whole convention thing is is rather new to me, and there's so much of it going on in the Northeast, and I don't know mm-hmm. why it's all centered around there. You know, all the vendors and the bookers and the conventions. You know, I I, I talked to you know through email and stuff six or seven of the different vendors and stuff now up there, and uh, you know they all know each other and most of them seem to get along. And everything, but uh, there's so much that's going on up there, and down here, there's absolutely nothing. I just don't understand it. They got something going on in Rome, Georgia. Um, they got the one coming up in Charlotte, but that's not till August. But you look up in the uh, the northeast, in the in the uh, the New York and the Jersey, and all up there, 
Oh, you got convention on top of convention. It is a hotbed. There's no doubt about that. It is, you know. So it's so this uh, this big event is going to be new for me because now I'm back in WWE territory a little bit, where I, I think I'd be I'd be uh, I think I'd be much more popular and known even down here in Charlotte when that one comes around in August. Uh, but it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be a ball up there. I'm going up with uh, D365 Promotions, and there's going to be uh, four of us up there, and they're going to have, I don't know, 60 or 70 big names up there. It's just going to be so much fun. I'm so excited about it. Headline. Autographs and T-shirts, headline. You name it, band, it's going to be great. Yeah, and headlined by The Undertaker. So pretty big thing. I know. Oh, yeah, I guess Bret Hart's supposed to be there, I think. Mm-hmm. And, yep. And uh, just so many of the big guys. Now I got to remember that I'm sitting behind a table and I'm not a fan because I'm going <laughs> to go around and get autographs and everything. Right. <laughs> but I still am that much of a fan, believe me. Now, so that's as, why I keep up. As we hit the wind down, head towards the finish. I mean, you've had so many, like we talked about, so many matches throughout your career, but a lot of big name opponents. Do you have some favorite opponents? Obviously, it's probably not going to be Vader or Duel the Butcher, but do you have some favorite yeah. opponents you've had throughout your career? Well, those two were my most memorable. Mm-hmm. I loved working with the Midnight Express and Jimmy Cornette. Um, after I had a couple of matches, I liked working with Sting and Lex Luger. Again, it's that thing. Once they get familiar with you and everything else, um, and they're just more fun to work with. Kevin Sullivan was a riot. The junkyard dog, he was hilarious. I mean, he would have you laughing in the middle of the ring. Um, just guys like that stick out, but there's so many other ones, you know, the, the, the Ron Basses and the, the Black Barts, Larry Zabiscos, um, oh, geez, all of them, Rock and Roll Express, Magnum T.A., uh, Nikita Koloff, Ivan Koloff. All of those are, are so memorable. It's like yesterday I can remember some of those matches. So as far as I had a favorite, I didn't really have a favorite, but those that I mentioned were the ones that I really liked working with. And Ron Simmons was another one. He was always, always very good. But these guys were just my favorites because I worked them more than anybody else, I guess. Who's the best guy you were in the ring with? Hmm. Talent-wise, you mean? Yes. You know, I really liked working that was very talented. It was Barry Windham. Barry Windham in his day was really, really good. I mean, he was smooth. He had a good look. He was popular. He was a big... uh, He had it all at the time. And he kept his nose clean, and that was good, too. But, uh, again, once the NWA, WCW went away, and, you know, he did his thing up there with return to WWE and that, and just kind of fizzled out after that. Now, he does some appearances once in a while. That He was just down here a couple weeks ago. But uh, him, um, Rocky Johnson, was a wonderful guy to to talk to and to – to work with again, very inspiring. Always 
he would critique your matches, you know, with you. Um, just a wonderful guy. There's so many good guys up there and so many that I just wish I could get in the ring with again. And there's really only two that I really wouldn't like to get in the ring with again. And let's, mm-hmm. yeah, Vader and uh, Abby. <laughs> you, know, you work with some uh, pretty good names. It's just, you know, obviously we mentioned a bunch, but mm-hmm. that stick out like Ultimate Warrior, Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of guys kind of stick out. It's like, wow, you work with uh, a lot of the big names of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Flair. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I had a match with Flair once. He was he's he's wonderful too. Again, uh, and, and nothing like his persona. He's very polite. Arn Anderson, another one, very polite. You know, very uh, very helpful in that. Um, Dusty Rhodes. I never got to wrestle him, but I wrestled Dustin in his very first TV match. And uh, that's a story we'll say for another day, but he kind of froze in the ring. So I ended up calling <laughs> it and I get back to the locker room and uh, you know, I'm leaving. And I saw Dusty. And he says, Hoagie, he called me Hoagie. He says, Hoagie, <laughs> thanks for taking care of my boy. Now, I didn't say nothing, whatever, but he must have seen. Me. He just said, thanks for taking care of my boy. Boy, does that mean a lot to me. From Dusty Rhodes himself. Wow, very cool. Well, yeah, and that's probably another reason I got a lot of work up there too. Was you know, Dusty had a lot of clout too. So, oh yeah, but it, it, it's it's wonderful. There's so many things going on. You know, Rick Steiner, he was another crazy one that uh, um, I liked working, but I wouldn't volunteer to work him if I didn't have to. Again, same reason. He's he's pretty tough, pretty stiff. Didn't care. Some of, them, some of them guys just didn't care. That was the biggest problem with them. As far as your role, like you said, the enhancement guy, the journeyman, the carpenter, do you hate the term jobber when when they say that? If you can... No, sir, I don't. Oh, you don't mind? Okay, because I know a lot I of guys don't. have a problem with it. I got a good friend down here, Bob Cook, that absolutely hates it. Bob Cook, one of the um, best punches ever in the history of the business. Absolutely, and one of the best workers, too, you know. He'd be the first to tell you that even through Dusty, he had three or four chances to really do something, but uh, uh, circumstances uh, didn't go his way. But anyways, Bob hates that. You know, and we go back and forth about it. Call me what you want. As they used to say in the old days, pin me but pay me. And that was it, you know. A jobber, well, no matter when you go to work, you're going to your job, right? Right. So you're a jobber. Then they come up with enhancement because we enhance the big names. Carpenters, because we build them, build the reputation. Uh, journeymen, because we're never really over, but we're solid workers when given the opportunity. So, so no, those, those don't bother me at all. Not a bit. And I'm probably one of the few, but I'm just honored to be part of it. That's all. I still I, can't believe it, you know? Yeah, and I think one of the most famous things that you kind of see with you is that great picture with you and Jim Cornette from the old uh, after mags, the infamous <laughs> now, you know, 14-inch arms. That's right. Did you notice that takeoff on Hogan, too? Yes. In fact, yes. That, that, that picture was an article in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and it said uh, Hulkamania versus Randomania. And it said about, you know, of course, about Hogan and how he's 
doing everything. And, you know, he had the uh, picture with blasting with a 24 inch pythons. And, uh, so, uh, Bill after I said, come on, let's, let's do this. He said, now make kind of a crazy face. He said, pick your arm up, but don't flex. So, so that was all part of the thing. And it just said, you know, Randy looking for his, you know, maybe he's got some fans out there. Maybe he doesn't, whatever. But again, any press is good press, you know. It wasn't bad, but yeah, that was that was fun. Cornette was uh, stepped right up to do that. And when you look back at, at your career and kind of basically sum it all up, what's the stamp? What's the legacy of Randy Hogan? You mean what would I like on my tombstone type of thing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well. Don't take yourself too seriously. Be humble. Be willing to help others. Respect the ones that pave the way for you. And uh, God, that's tough. Where will be? And just that they always got their money's worth. Whatever they wanted me to do, I did. And I think that's the whole secret in this business to this very day. If Vince wants a guy to do something, he better do it because he's making a whole lot of money. Um, and these young guys got to know that, you know, because you worked at a VFW in front of 50 people, you know, you're getting a 25 dollars payoff. You're not a superstar. Learn, respect the others, seek out information. Um, I would just like people to know that I'm always willing to help. I'm pretty humble for what I did and thankful for every opportunity that I've ever been given from promoters to fans to that little guy up in that bar up in Georgia that decided to call me Hale Hogan. Hmm. So Now you you mentioned also a bunch of conventions and stuff coming up and kind of just re iterate those points of where you're going to be. I know obviously March 7th is the big event, March 8th big is WrestleFest, but yeah, but please give us uh, all the plugs of where you're going to be. Yeah. Well, like I said, with, uh, I'll be with, um, with, uh, of course, Kevin Nassar, D365 promotions. I'll be at the big event on the 7th. Then I think we're going to an independent show that Saturday night. And I think it's in Danbury, Connecticut somewhere driving distance, I would imagine it. Uh, I think it's a new England wrestling or NEW match. And then, uh, on the eighth, we go up to Albany for WrestleFest two at the Colony mall. And then I know in August I'll be in, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. I believe it's the 17th or 18th. And let me see. In between is yet to be determined. You got a lot of stuff coming up. It's very good, very cool. A lot cool. of stuff it's coming up. Busy. We got, we got some local stuff. They, there's a big fundraiser they have in Tampa for the Cancer Association, and uh, uh, a lot of the guys come in for that. Uh, a lot of the the, the local the, the the name guys that are local. In fact, Bob Cook will be there. Um, and I'll be there. So that's a, a big thing in July that's in Tampa. Um, like I said, we got this thing that I'm 
waiting here any day in uh, in San Diego. That'd be for the UWF up there. I'd actually be in the ring instead of behind a table on that one. So um, that's all I know for sure right now. The rest, I'm just I'm wide open and I'm hoping to get some calls. Awesome. Now, as far as social media stuff, do you have social media? Do you keep up social media? Is there a place where you want fans to kind of reach out and touch, or even bookers and vendors to kind of reach out and grab? Right now, um, 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 easy to find Randy Hogan on Facebook. Facebook is is the easiest way to do it. Um, You know, I'm I'm always on there. On Messenger, I'm in the process of putting a – uh, a page together that's strictly on wrestling and bookings and stuff. But uh, as of now, they can get on my personal page and be a friend and, you know, see what we do in uh, in real life or after the uh, the lights have dimmed. Um, and we go back to playing golf and laying by the beach and meeting fans whenever we get the chance at these uh, conventions and things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Randy, it's been Quite a blast kind of going down memory lane with you. Great stuff. Love hearing about all throughout your career. Great stories, and I appreciate all the time you gave us tonight. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to meet you and to talk to you and uh, and all your all your fans out there and listeners, and I hope to meet uh, quite a bit of them up in, uh, up in New York. Like I said, this is going to be a, a fun trip for me. I mean, down here it's 87 degrees today. Up there, I don't know what it is, but I know it's not 87. I'm <laughs> no. trying to figure out. I got to go buy 47. no clothes. I got no clothes. Yeah. yeah, I got no clothes to wear up there. <laughs> so, of course, at the conventions are being gimmick. You know, we'll have the, the bandana and the glasses and the random mania T-shirts. Awesome. So we'll be all set. We'll be awesome. we'll be styling the yellow and red. Awesome, great stuff, and just make mm-hmm. sure you bundle up because it's definitely not going to be eighty-seven here uh, in March. So definitely uh, come on out there, fans, and uh, get a part of Randomania and meet Randy Hogan and run wild with me. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.